back, guys, to another episode of the Rick and Danny Show. Hey, Rick, how's it going? You're doing all right. I see we got some things to talk about, including uh, I think I'm gonna. I know I'm a beautiful, clean-shaven man, but I think things might have to change here soon. Is that right? <laughs> Why are you well, laughing? Brenna. Well, Brenna. wait. What's wrong? What? Clean-shaven, yes. Clean-shaven. You know, last part. You beautiful. Don't, you don't find me beautiful. <laughs> No, Rick, you are. Thank you. You are a beautiful person. Thank you, Danny. You're, you're not. Welcome. You're you're a good looker yourself. <laughs> Brenda's not going to comment. On I that. refuse. <laughs> so we're going to talk about what no shave November is. Do you know okay. what that is, Rick? I do. It's uh, you don't shave in the month of November. Did I get it? You got it. Yes. All right. There's a few more details. That oh, I'll okay. Describe and tell you and, what it's and about. And Rick, you're going to take part in it, even though to quote you. I just hate facial hair because I'm a baby and it itches. Yeah. There okay. We go. All right. Well, that's a quote. No, no. I, I, my quote is accurate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you're going to do it. You're going to try. I was told I had no choice. Well, yeah. That's true. Yeah. It's going to, it's oh, going to be choice. much harder for me to shave. Now, my does that mean, hair. does that mean like, cause I get my facial hair down like to like here and it gets like all neck beard and it gets itchy? No, you no. We don't want you to be a neck beard. Can you clean that up? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so you can, you can keep yourself groomed. You you yeah. can shave from there down. So I can clean halfway, this part up. Halfway, yeah. yeah. Okay, so halfway. I don't have to look around like Werewolf Man. <laughs> no. no, please okay. no. I'm also, looking forward to seeing this. I also though. saw I also saw last time I grew it out, especially around the chin. Yeah. Some grays. Oh, Wasn't yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little salt and pepper action. I was like, Sweet. I'm, I'm too young for this. I'm getting some of those. I'm too that? young yeah, for yeah. this. No. 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 I blame my children. Children. I think children contribute to gray hairs. 100%. For sure, for sure. Every time I get my hair they're cut. They're cute, though. Every time I get my hair cut, they're like... Kids are cute. Wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my kids. Morgan, one picture better, Morgan Rick. posted, I was they... like, Miles looks like a freaking toddler. <laughs> when did that happen? It pretty much oh, is. Yeah. He's 13 months. Or... Ridiculous. No, he's... Yeah, thir- 13 and a half months now. Wow. And he's pretty much walking. It's scary. Really? Getting close. Oh. Yeah. Wanting to cruise. He's yeah cruising, and he stands, and he does the, like, one step forward, and, like freezes and then collapses so he's in that discovery phase <laughs> right well no shave november rick it's been a tradition for many years there was a chicago-based hill family that in 2009 decided to reinvent the activity and raise money for a charity so they have a nonprofit organization um and they raise money for cancer awareness uh, cancer research, um, you know, it doesn't, it's not donating to a specific foundation, but it's encouraging others to take the money that they would normally spend on either grooming services or you could pick, you know, something you do every month uh, and donate that money that you would use for that activity and donate it towards cancer research or awareness. And there are a number of great organizations to donate your money to. Um you know, the Hill family had some uh, personal, you know, uh, experiences with cancer and, and the family uh, really had, uh, you know, interest in doing more for cancer research and um, just raising awareness. So I think it's a great cause. Absolutely. No, and if you're local, you can donate to the Patient Assistance Foundation. I was just going to say, and, right. and just to remind everyone, the Patient Assistance Foundation, which we have here at CSNF, 100% of that money goes to the patients for basically assistance, shocking, for things they need during their cancer treatment. So it doesn't go for the cancer treatments itself. It goes for things that the patient needs to make their lives easier during cancer therapy. So 
transportation, food, rent, utilities, things that allow patients to not hopefully worry about the things outside of their health during the time when obviously they need to be focused on hopefully getting better and and obviously um, improving their lives. And it and also can be used for caregivers of patients as well, I think, mm-hmm. um, in, in certain situations where, let's say, a patient is completely reliant on mm-hmm. someone to, to kind of be their caregiver. So mm-hmm. it's a really good cause. Obviously, it's close to our hearts, and it's something we believe in. But, um, but yeah, but obviously there's a, many organizations out there that um, are definitely uh, should earn your hard-earned money mm-hmm. and donations. Yep. And we actually, just so you guys know, um, like two weeks ago, just raised the uh, guidelines. So instead of, you know, you could get up to $2,500 in assistance, you can now get up to $3,000 in assistance. Um, mm. Previously, you had to be at uh, 250% of the poverty level. You can now be at 350 We have the amount you can have in savings. We have the amount uh, you can have in your 401k because, like, you know, we're doing so great with fundraising. Mm-hmm. Um we don't want people to be destitute, you know, cancer treatment. You shouldn't have to go through all your savings, you know, all your 401k right. and everything before you're able to get help. And so mm-hmm. we've seen an increase in applications because of that. So, I mean, today alone, I think I wrote this morning, like 15 checks um, to yep. go to different places. So awesome. yeah, it's, it's really, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an impact. It's hard to talk about this stuff and not sound like you're cheerleading for what we do. But mm-hmm. I mean, in reality, like the, there's, so you have the charity arm and then like, you, you know, one of the reasons I joined this group is the cost is something that's we take into consideration with everything. And I don't mean cost to the business, I mean cost to the patient. So whether that's how we price our drugs, whether that's the contracts we have with insurance companies in the area, you know, we see almost every type of insurance and we make it work and we come up with ways to in most cases give patients the care they need. Mm-hmm. They're not gonna be turned away like they are at other won't say names, places where they advertise that they're giving back to the community, but they won't mm-hmm. see the patients that actually need their help, you know, the most yeah. because they don't have the right insurance or the right access. So, you know, I, I think I truly, and, and not to mention the pharmacy we have here that's always competing with lower drug prices, the Mark Cuban project that has gone and gotten a lot of news about, mm-hmm. I think we've talked about on a previous episode, you know, our pharmacy right. matches and or beats any of that. So I think, right. you know, we're, we're, we try to do things as best we can to, to do things to lower the cost of care for patients because let's let's be real, the cost of cancer care is frankly ridiculous for some of these these treatments. Mm-hmm. So um, it's not surprising, unfortunately, that a lot of people need help. Yeah. And it's funny that you say that. One of the um, places you talked about that advocates that they're there for the community and maybe doesn't actually put that into practice Um you know, our foundation is not just for CSNF patients. It's for anybody in the community that qualifies. Mm-hmm. Um, Great point. Yeah. We've had three applications from wow. that place this week. Wow. Alone. So Great. Wow. Just, yeah, I, just a little. Yeah. It's because it's, it's truly not, I mean it when I say it, it's not about us. No. You no. know, and so that I think is, you know, at the heart of our mission and, you know, it's, it's, yeah, I'm blessed to be part of it. Mm-hmm. You, and you got to truly look at the cost of, of what our services even, you know, versus other locations. You know, there's true facility fees and other fees that, you know, maybe insurance pays and that's great. But if you look at the bill, I mean, we're talking substantial amounts of money that are 
being yeah. wasted. I, the joke I always use is no apparent reason. radiation. It's, 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 it's pretty egregious. You know, right. you can have the same exact treatment course, the right. same number of treatments, the same technology, the same everything. And one place can be literally, in some cases, three to 10 to 15 times more expensive right. of a bill. And your point is not all the time the patient sees that, yeah. but it's cost right. to the system. And where Huge is that cost. money going? And, you know, there's a lot of, I won't call it frank waste, but it yeah. borders on, you know, waste oh, and or, you know, cost of the system, which we all bear, you know, right. as as citizens. So, yeah, well, it's you, just, I, you know, I, I really think, you know, what we try to do is as best we can, obviously, right. limit that. Well, I think a lot of people would think that why is something cause, costing 10 times the amount for the same service? You know, I mean, that's well, a, it's you, marketing good and radiation, right? Yeah, well, you, well, you would think... Uh, it's not, but I mean, same exact everything, same right? Exact. It's, it's, yeah. it's, um, yeah, it's, but that's the reality, right? I mean, well, people yeah. always say, well, we're in a capitalist economy and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And that may be true in some parts of the economy, but healthcare is not like that. No. You know, there's, there's monopolies and there's, um, uh, certain, um, things in the structure of the way we do things in the healthcare system that allows for yeah. this egregious price difference. And mm-hmm. the other problem with it is, well, be a whole other episode about <laughs> healthcare economics but yeah when you don't have price transparency right and patients don't know what the cost of things are there's no way to shop right in a real in a real market right you shop and you look at your choices and this costs this this costs this and you make a decision of what you want to do right in healthcare no one knows what anything costs the right. patients certainly don't know half the time the doctors don't know right it's it's the facilities and the bureaucracy behind those that are the ones that can uh, do things for their benefit, um, mm-hmm. you know. And it's not not only the health systems; it's the insurers, it's the you know the pharmacy benefit benefits managers, it's the um, the monopolies we've allowed to to be created. But I'll, I'll step. This is me stepping off <laughs> a soapbox. He's off his Thank you for now. coming to my TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> And you can find him on Twitter <laughs> and Instagram. Say, Rick, this is a Wendy's. Go Sometimes on. <laughs> on TikTok, but I haven't seen any videos. I don't, on I don't yet. have a TikTok. <laughs> I am a Twitter. I, I I rarely tweet, but yes. when I feel passionate, I do, which isn't yeah. very usually about Gator football, mm-hmm. heat highlights, mm. occasionally healthcare related things. I like it. So you guys, you are going to be participating in No Shave November. We are per my request. So there will be a directive. before and after photo. Yep. yep. So uh, Danny's going to – this is going to air on November 1st, so the first mm-hmm. day of it, obviously. Um, so Danny's going to shave and send a selfie that I'm going to – I'll put in right now. Rick is going to look the exact same. So no I'm going to have – I'm going yeah, to look the same. Fresh I'm going to have him clean. send me a selfie just, just because. Just this for is 24-hour <laughs> stubble. Yeah. I think you guys are going to be surprised. My, my hair grows – my facial grows in thick. And that's yeah. itchy and curly. I was kind of thinking it would be great if we could just allow him just to grow a mustache only and just let it grow. Well, I told I told Morgan because <laughs> I mean, she I'm... hates Morgan will not like that look. But <laughs> I, I the mustache or the facial hair in general. The mustache. Yeah, so what yeah, I'm gonna yeah. do is I'm gonna grow it out, and then I think maybe depending on what we decide to do, yeah, the last couple of days of November, or first couple of days of December, yes. I'm gonna rock. A oh yeah, gotcha. yeah, you have to just to really scare. But I might be divorced, and then I won't see my kids. So I don't know if that's worth it. You but might we'll scare see. your kids. Not for sure. Let's start out with some handlebars and then go to the mustache. That would be get a little like the wax and turn them, yeah. turn it around. You gotta, you gotta you try a couple Dean different in, styles in when you shave. Had that. 
It's a power move. It was power. It's a power move. And then I'll come in with like a bolo tie. He's probably still the dean. Just really just go all out. Shout out. Yeah. You just kind of walk in every patient room and go, what up, Tex? <laughs> That's funny. All right. So do we want to get into Rick's reactions or Rick's rants? Do we have time for Rick's reactions? Oh, we always have time for Rick's We can do it sure. We can my, do it My soapbox quick. can get quite... Oh. Although this oh, is kind of met on Kevy, so he's going to be a little bored. I don't know. Here. You'll be surprised. I got some strong opinions <laughs> about what you guys do. All right. boys. Oh, sorry. So the way these <laughs> Rick, Rick, Rick can rant about anything. Rick yeah. rants go is I give rants. him a headline and he he rants or reacts to it. Yeah. That so, you know what? Maybe we should change it to Rick's rants or reactions. Rick, Question mark. Rick's rants or reactions and reactions. I like I like and rants because let's be honest. Most of the time, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have an opinion. All right. right or wrong, by the way, folks. Usually wrong. So, Rick, adjuvant immunotherapy for locally advanced kidney cancer, colon, the saga continues. What do you think of that? Uh, are we, is, this like the, is this the title of the new Star Wars movie? Like, the what, saga like, continues. What, I mean, is this a journal What do you article? think they mean by the saga continues? This feels like an opinion piece. Kind of. Um, well, I think we have conflicting... Uh, is there conflicting or no evidence for <laughs> adjuvant therapy? I think I think conflicting was me being as generous as possible. There might possible. be a little conflicting evidence, but yeah. Uh, yeah. But basically that it's all borne out that there doesn't appear to be at least, certainly not an overall survival benefit. And That's the key there. There has yet to be an overall survival benefit. I think some trials have shown PFS, prover- progression-free survival, maybe, barely. DFS. Or Disease. Oh, oh, right, right. So... Again, let's get, get on the soapbox real quick. So I, I brought this up before. An adjuvant, you have to remember the setting in which we're talking about. Yes. So this is adjuvant therapy. So for the people listening, what this means is you've had a primary treatment. In most cases for kidney cancer, it's surgery. Mm-hmm. And then adjuvant is saying, do they need any drugs or something else, radiation, right. afterwards? Right. So. Is there a role for radiation after kidney surgery for kidney cancer? In 99% of cases, no. The so there's nothing to do with my modality yes. versus your modality. You know that. I'm very objective with what I so if you are going to show a benefit in the adjuvant setting, it cannot be something like DMS PFS because what you need to show is that does giving a drug earlier make a difference right. versus if the patients who do recur you give the drug, are they gonna do the same? That is the key. So right, right, right. right. If, let's say, 100 people get kidney surgery mm-hmm. and 20 people have a recurrence, mm-hmm. those 20 people, if they get that drug then, when they recur, mm-hmm. do they do the same as if everyone got the drug right after the surgery? Early, yeah. That's the key. Because if they do the same, you mm-hmm. shouldn't give it to everyone because 80 people in that situation wouldn't need the drug because their cancer hasn't recurred right. without the drug. A lot of people getting drugs that don't need the drug. Correct. So it's a different question when you talk about adjuvant therapy that are different in my opinion <clears throat> burden of proof right you need versus in the metastatic second third line setting where you know we can argue about what does dfs mean to a patient what mm-hmm. is all that but at least in that situation the patient in general is going to be on something mm-hmm. versus in the adjuvant setting what you're comparing in most cases is nothing mm-hmm. versus something so the burden to me the burden of proof is it needs to be of course more than TFS, PFS, um, there needs to be a translated survival benefit, in my opinion. 
I agree with you, Rick. And and oh, oh, oh. what what oh. this uh, very rare, Brenna. What you... this article uh, a review I'm of an article? Make that a soundbite. <laughs> I agree with you, Rick. Um, what this is reviewing is an article that came out looking at high risk local regional renal cell carcinoma. So generally, that means patients with um, tumors that are larger, invading maybe into the venous space in the kidney, mm-hmm. um, who have a higher rate of recurrence. Um, upwards of 50% or more usually, um, after they undergo a nephrectomy, which is removing the kidney and removing the cancer, randomizing those individuals who are higher risk of recurrence to one year of immunotherapy. And this uh, article they use Tecentric, which is a tezolizumab. It's a PDL one inhibitor. We've talked about that before, about how different immunotherapies work. Uh, but it's basically trying to recruit more of your normal immune cells to try to attack if there are any residual cancer cells left in your body. And so you get a year of immunotherapy every three weeks, one infusion every three weeks for one year. And what this trial showed, phase three versus versus placebo, versus placebo. um, And they showed that 778 individuals it's a good size trial yeah over uh either uh received a tezolizumab uh or placebo and at a medium follow-up which medium follow-up is pretty good at 44.7 months mm-hmm. so almost four years follow-up disease-free survival <laughs> was 57.2 months in the immunotherapy arm versus 49.5 months in the placebo arm with a Hazard ratio 0.93, which was not st- statistically significant. So, even so they though they couldn't even prove the DFS, right? Disease-free survival, even though absolute was better right. in the immunotherapy arm, it was not significant statistically. And I'm assuming in the placebo arm, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm guessing survival. Then obviously, it must have been a while. overall survival. Must have been. they don't have that yeah. reported, yeah. but yeah. presumably can't imagine that it yeah. would be. A positive because remember what, what you what you're and this is this is yeah. why this even has less evidence right because right. like it, it, disease free survival means the cancer came back right and then you right. get counted in disease free or they died right. but, or they died but most I imagine majority of people are, you get that you you get point in that group if you recur yeah so at right. the end of the day if you recur yes it matters right. but. If you recur and then get on the atezolizumab mm-hmm. and your outcomes are the same, right? then DFS doesn't matter. Right. If the ultimate outcome is the same. Right. So that's right, why right, right. if they can't even meet the DFS barrier, certainly mm-hmm. to me there seems like there's no role based on that trial. Is that one of those I am power? It is yeah. one of the I am power studies. Most of the, the atezos are I am power I whatever. I am motion zero one zero. I am, I am motion. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, so the reason this trial was significant was because in the New England Journal of Medicine, there was a keynote study, which was Keynote 564. So that's Pembro? Pembro. Identical study. And I imagine the, the groups are slightly different. Okay. But I ima- they still used a high-risk group of right. yeah, you renal would, cell Yeah, you wouldn't carcinoma. take stage one patients right. who were resected. And... So high-risk renal cell and it's always clear cell type so these are there's different types of kidney cancer but this is always clear cell which is the most common type um 
and they saw a disease-free survival benefit in that study. So it wasn't overall survival. Right, right. And they allude to in this study too that um, we still don't have mature overall survival data for that study. Um, but the disease-free survival benefit of the uh, Keynote 564, which is using pembrolizumab, a different type of immunotherapy, but they should be similar. They should. You would think. Um, I think the disease-free survival benefit was either 8 or 9%. That was the difference between the groups. Right. So, you know, in, in that, was it April 9? I'm trying to, I can find out. We well, can, I guess, we can I, I guess my out. question is, let me, let what, me, what do you do here. in your practice for someone who meets the checkmate so, criteria? Do you offer it to I, them? I discuss it with them. Okay. And I say, um, the very thing you, you kind of alluded to, that we don't know if disease-free survival will translate to you living longer or not, you right. know, and, and what I did actually, I had a recent patient that kind of met criteria for it. And, um, I'm thinking about, well, actually I did perform, um, circulating tumor DNA analysis. Oh, interesting. So getting a baseline post-operative sure. assessment of whether they have any tumor DNA, which can be a predictor of re recurrence. And so that's, that, cool. that's one know, way of doing I didn't know it. I know there was, is yeah. there, is there in the kidney space, there's stuff? There's data with immunotherapy, and I think they've reported data for other disease types. I don't know specifically for renal cell, yeah, but I know they do colon have, is like pretty common. Yeah, colon, they reported research. a trial, um, a pretty, pretty nice trial looking at uh, adjuvant data for colorectal cancer. Right. Yeah. So if you're, and in that data, if you're circulating tumor DNA not detectable, um, post-operatively, right. then you don't seem to achieve the same benefit of adjuvant chemo. As Which the group intuitively makes sense. Right. right. But the trick is, is how sure are you, um, the sensitivity of that test picking up on circulating tumor DNA? Correct. We right. don't have the data, and we don't have the data yeah. at the moment right. to use that as a sole decision right. maker. Which I also educate patients on. I'm not sure if, if this test is negative, I'm not sure that it well, what about what about the like the patients I get that go, yeah, 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 data, data, great, great, great. What do you recommend? What do you do? Yeah. They say, Doctor Danny, I want, I'll do everything you tell me. Yeah. What should I do? What do you say? So I think, then I look at toxicity and I say, over that year, what are the chances of you? Because, there, data almost shows fifty-fifty chance you could be disease-free or you cannot mm -hmm. be disease-free. So what are the chances of you having long-term toxicity of the treatment? And so for the PEMBRO data for renal cell, <clears throat> I think immunotherapy-related complications are, at least serious ones, are pretty rare. Mm -hmm. um, so I tend to be a little bit more of an advocate for it. Mm -hmm. But in the circulating tumor DNA negative group, I kind of... Steer them the other way? Steer them the other way. Interesting. I was just curious. That's just how yeah. I've been doing and this, it. And, yeah. and the reason I ask is because I don't... I personally don't think there's necessarily a right or wrong answer. It's yeah. just interesting how different people... But I feel more comfortable approach. because I so far have not had a patient test negative for CTDNA. Um, and recur. And yeah, right. But it's a small number of patients. Right. Yeah. So. Well, it's like the rectal study we talked yeah. about a couple episodes yeah. ago. So... I don't know. You I mean, meet the criteria. There's a little like I. There's so much data coming out in terms of how do we how do we predict who's going to benefit from these therapies adjuvantly, and even even the tried and true adjuvant therapies, which is like chemo for 
stage three colorectal cancer. Like everyone should be offered adjuvant chemo, but there's some data coming out. Well, the stage two data is is what's kind of argued um, about because there's not as much of a benefit there. But stage three, we, we offer everyone adjuvant right. chemotherapy, but there probably are some individuals that are not going to benefit from it. Right. And, and that's true for all adjuvant data. Well, and I, I think to me, what I hear is 9% PFS benefit to translate into an OS benefit would be, that would be a very unlikely, right. I would imagine. Uh, I'm going to get the numbers here for you, Rick. Possible, but unlikely. It you might be a little more than that. Out. Is that what I do? Is that how I do it? But now you'll keep it in because I said that. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm back. <laughs> I'm back, guys. I mean, you're, by the time Danny gets an answer, you're going to need a colonoscopy. <laughs> and you now qualify. <laughs> you now. Oh. Right on the dot. 9%. Was the DFS benefit? Or PFS? Benefit? Well. So I, I should clarify. I really okay. So the data is at 24 months, okay. the disease-free survival difference between pembrolizumab, which is immunotherapy versus not doing it, is a 9% improvement okay. at, at two years postoperatively. The hazard ratio, so when we talk about risk reduction or what are the um, percentages, you say there is a 32% reduction in, um, or there's a 32% improvement in disease-free survival with immunotherapy. So this, goes back, the to absolute, the, this goes back to the colonoscopy right, argument. Right. So, but we like to talk more in absolute. So I would say at two years postoperatively, there was a 9% benefit with getting immunotherapy. So 9% more patients were disease-free and alive versus the placebo group at two years. So you take that for what it is, you say, and the absolute numbers are 77 versus 68%. So 77% alive, disease-free versus 68. Right. So. Be interesting to see what the survival shows. It will. <laughs> it will. Which is interesting, too, because... The curve showing the Pembro is still well, going down, right. and, and then, this is plateauing out yeah. a little bit. So, right. Right. What do we don't have the number at risk at the end there of the tail? Uh, let me see. If I scroll down, it's probably there. Good old Kaplan Meyer, Kaplan and Meyer. I think it was two people. Kaplan Meyer curves toward the tail. So at, at three years, the number at risk are around twenty for each group. It's a pretty yeah, getting into lower. Yeah. numbers yeah got it so well, interesting all right one more okay which i showed dr sugarman this before because uh -oh. she is our breast cancer expert shout so, out to dr sugarman dr sugarman reassessing <laughs> the safety of vaginal estrogen use in women with breast cancer you went like, I did not expect that. You were talking about breast I cancer, know. then you start about vaginal estrogen. Yeah. So yeah. reassessing the safety. Safety. Because we, and you might get questions about this too, because you treat breast cancer, right? Yeah, and I do. Patients who have undergone breast cancer treatment, whether that's chemotherapy, radiation, et cetera, um, 
And with the anti-estrogen therapies that we use for our hormonal receptor positive mm-hmm. patients, mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of uh, side effects that can be unpleasant, such as hot flashes, uh, decreased libido, vaginal dryness, um, skin changes, a variety of things that are kind of induced post in, in our premenopausal patients, certainly induce more menopausal symptoms that can be unpleasant. So the there's been numerous studies, and I wouldn't say any of them are, are great, looking at the safety of topical estrogen therapy in patients who have had breast mm-hmm. cancer. Mm-hmm. And so what this particular article looked at was, is it safe to use? What would you say? And, and have you ever been asked that in a patient saying, can I use a, like even even a, a vaginal estrogen cream uh, yeah, I mean, if I t- they had breast cancer? I, I tell patients, I mean, unless they're extremely high risk and they were they had the cancer when they were really young or they have a genetic component or mm-hmm. something where they're predisposed to uterine cancers or cervical you know something like that mm-hmm. then maybe you think about no but i think for the vast majority of these women who are already postmenopausal their tumors were small mm-hmm. they were hormone receptor positive just because that's the most common i, I personally think there's probably not much risk at all mm-hmm. of using you know vaginal topical therapy i think that the risk to that would be much 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 lower than some sort of you know systemic estrogen oral estrogen therapy of some sort yeah um well so let me tell you how the study was uh, conducted here so it's using a national prescription database so this is kind of one of those database studies danish breast cancer group uh investigators evaluated the use of vaginal estrogen therapy and menopausal hormonal therapy in a cohort of postmenopausal women. So menopausal hormonal therapy means oral, right? Is that what that's saying? I'm going to clarify that for you here. Okay. Because um, I don't know how to interpret words like that. Hmm. I wish I had the details here because they don't really... Talk about that. Uh, what I'm assuming that means other oral strategies, right? Non-hormonal. Oral I would assume that. Let me just see here. Women with breast cancer. Da, 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 da. The, I'm gonna say that's a safe assumption, although they don't describe the details of what menopausal hormone therapy is. So. Okay, so in a cohort of women, postmenopausal, diagnosed with an early stage uh, hormone receptor positive breast cancer somewhere between 97 and 2004, who received five years of adjuvant endocrine therapy. So that's the group of patients they were looking at. So low risk. Low risk. Going to get five years of Patients endocrine. on endocrine therapy. So they compared doing nothing versus topical versus oral? Right. So a total of 8,461 patients who had not received any vaginal estrogen or menopausal hormonal therapy prior to diagnosis. Uh, And of these, 1,957 used either vaginal estrogen therapy or uh, menopausal hormone therapy after diagnosis. So users were defined as those who filled two prescriptions after diagnosis. Median age was 61 years. But they're lumping the vaginal estrogen with Um, oral? No, they're going to separate it here as far as as their outcomes. Um, So 
they had a good, fairly good adherence to endocrine therapy. It was 88% That's really of users. Um, Better than the U.S. data. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that was in patients. So they kind of separated it. How many patients who use vaginal estrogen were um, adherent to their endocrine therapy? Uh, and it was about the same for either group, 88 and 90%. Uh, Follow-up was nearly 10 years for recurrence and 15 years for overall survival. So use of vaginal estrogen therapy and uh, menopausal hormonal therapy was not associated with an increased risk for either recurrence or mortality in the overall population. However, and this is kind of the interesting point, an increased risk of recurrence in a subgroup of patients, 822, receiving vaginal estrogen therapy who were on adjuvant aromatase inhibitors. Um, in, increases of breast cancer recurrence. Correct. Uh, no, and I, I believe this was not an increased risk of mortality, just breast cancer recurrence. So overall, there was no increased overall, risk? Overall, no. But For either recurrence or mortality. But in the subgroup, because patients could either take tamoxifen or aromatase inhibition. Oh, I see. So only... In the tamoxifen group, there was no difference difference in in the subgroup but in the subgroup of aromatase inhibition there was a Got increase but that's risk. lumping vaginal and oral um no this was specifically saying vaginal estrogen therapy so let's see what they said about it so they said they conclude that provides reassurance for many patients but caution should be exercised in those receiving aromatase inhibitors in this group other strategies should be considered before VET, which is vaginal estrogen therapy or menopausal hormonal therapy. So they talk about using non-hormonal agents um, or switching them to tamoxifen and using tamoxifen because there didn't seem to be uh, uh, risk associated with that. So, but interestingly, they they just lumped it under the VET group. But I think the VET and the MHT, which is the uh, menopausal hormonal therapy, um are, are the same i think it's the same sounds like they're using them interchangeably yeah interchangeably right so it's just interesting that we we do get some patients that ask you know post-treatment is it so, safe okay, for me so to, a very to... small minority used oral it was of the 8500 almost 2000 used vaginal estrogen placement right. only 133 used oral yeah majority were on the topical therapies so Right. And I would say I rarely get asked if I can if a patient can use an oral estrogen therapy. And I almost say always say no, no matter what, no matter if they're low or high risk. Um, but the topical therapies and a lot of the OB guides will will sometimes recommend, you know, starting a mm -hmm. topical uh, vaginal estrogen or yeah, um, so it I don't know what. What the mechanism is, why. A patient on aromatase inhibition versus right. being on I mean, tamoxifen, why it matters. Biologically, it shouldn't yeah, matter, right? It shouldn't like from matter. an intuitive sense. Right. You know, and then the other part, problem with these studies is what are the confounders for the women who decide they want to use vaginal estrogen therapy right. versus those who don't? Right. Because this isn't a randomized trial. Because right. think about, think about <laughs> vaginal like anything else. Versus like those not. who are yeah. really wanting to use it, right. they're probably going to have certain characteristics right. than the women who don't which right. may already belay their risk of recurrence somehow. Right, right. You know, that could be, you know, not to generalize, but it could be a younger, more active subset of yeah. that population, which, you know, the younger you are, obviously we know 
the yeah. higher your chance of recurrence. So there's, I think, some confounding factors, but that's definitely interesting nonetheless. Interesting. And, and Dr. Sugarman's take is that she will, and she says that she uses um, non-hormonal therapies exclusively as, as the first trial. And if everything's exhausted, what, 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 does, that, agent, what does that include? I don't, so I'm, I'm, I'm asking out of ignorance. It, it depends on the, the symptom, right? So for hot flashes, there's a variety of Yeah, right. But for vaginal dryness. So um, a lot of different types of lubricants that are that so are non, tried. Non, Non-hormonal based. Yeah. But it's still some sort of topical, topical therapy. therapy. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. And, and then if they've exhausted all of those non-hormonal therapies, then consider she it. would consider it. Yeah. Makes sense. And I think that, I think that makes a, sense. I think it's a pretty reasonable way to approach right. Approach it. Right. right. So, so well, thank it. you. Thank you for those interesting articles, Danny. That was that was fun. You're welcome, Rick. Hope, uh, hope more you, to come. <laughs> hope you listeners enjoyed that, um, and uh, look forward to the next episode. And See you back my next time. Itchy beard. We're looking forward to seeing it. <laughs> <Brother Chicken. laughs>